Ah, yes, the time has arrived once again. It is time for the Cubs Weekly Podcast Special Draft Edition, presented by Wintrust, exclusive home of Cubs Checking, featuring free ATMs nationwide. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Cole Wright, alongside my running buddy, Tony Andraki. And Tony, as we know, the draft well, it wrapped up this year, and it was only five rounds. It concluded on a Thursday. It was down from 40 rounds in 2019. So there's a bunch of guys sitting around right now hoping that they get that $20,000 call. And when it comes through picks one through five, I think it's safe to say that the Cubs, they made the most of their draftees, man. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Cole, sorry, I have to go back and readdress something. You, you call me your running buddy. And honestly, I don't want to, I don't know if I can keep up with you. I know you do all that jump roping and stuff. So I don't know if we, we want to be running buddies because I'm going to be lagging behind for sure, man. Well, the thing is, I, I do all that jump and rope because I'm getting old, man. I, it's, it's almost like bone on bone in the knees. The cartilage, it has run very thin. So my running days, I think those are firmly in the rearview mirror. I don't think I've actually stretched it out and gone running in, in almost two calendar years. But, but I am a beast on the jump rope. Thank you for acknowledging that, Tony. Yeah, no problem. I just want to make sure our <laughs> listeners know. And, and now that we know that, too, then I would go running with you because I'm pretty confident. Okay. So. I'm just killing grass when I'm running. That's all I'm doing, man. <laughs> but yeah, as for the draft, like you mentioned, I think the Cubs absolutely made the most of it. it uh, Dan Kantrovitz, who we'll hear from here in a minute, said the same thing too. I mean, they, you look at all five picks. When you only have five, there is a certain level of pressure on that for sure. You don't have late round guys that you could potentially pay over slot to to try to convince them not to go to college or whatever. You don't have diamonds in the rough that you can get you have five picks these guys that you could potentially these undrafted guys potentially after but yeah what the Cubs did I mean they got the best shortstop in the draft Baseball America Fangraph some other organizations said that going in and Ed Howard then they got a reliever who could potentially make the big leagues as soon as this year if if necessary uh, and they got an outfielder who looks like a linebacker or a defensive end and has power and speed and then, yeah, their fourth-round pick, which I know, Cole, you love. So I'll see you up here. Luke Little, 105 miles an hour. Yeah, Luke Little, 105 miles an hour. That's pretty much all you have to say because he's six foot eight. He's left-handed. And if I, if I was a scout, I would have taken him probably number one overall with the very first pick. And that's probably one of the reasons why I'm not an advanced scout right about now. But I'll tell you what, if there's anyone who knows advanced scouting, it is Dan Kantrovitz, as you mentioned. He's the Cubs. Vice President of Scouting, and Tony, you caught up with him on Friday morning, and it was good stuff from front to back, so let's have a listen. Dan, in general, how has the transition been to the Cubs since joining the front office in November? Uh, well, it's it, it's been eventful, uh, that's for sure, and uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's been as smooth as you could possibly imagine uh, it being, and you know, given what we've had to deal with. And I, I would say the, the first couple months went pretty much according to plan. Uh, I would I was in Chicago quite a bit, working with uh, getting to know our scouts, working with our R and D department, uh, the front office, and and just sort of building out uh, our, our our plan for this year to to be ready for for this week, the, the draft, and then uh, you know once the, the the pandemic hit and 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 changed the the composition of uh, uh, of a lot of things, but in, you know especially for as it relates to us, college and high school baseball. Um, you know, we had to, uh, we had to sort of step back and, and recalibrate and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I can't honestly tell you that, uh, I had any inkling back in uh, November when I was hired that, uh, 
you know, I, I'd be sitting here with, uh, you know, having completed the draft after just two days. That's a pretty foreign thing to people uh, accustomed to uh, being a part of a, a Major League Baseball draft. It's usually a three-day event, and, and it goes more than uh, the five rounds. But, uh, you know, this is a pretty, um, you know, it's obviously an unprecedented situation. And uh, I think, we, you know, where we are this year, all things considered, uh, I don't think anybody's uh, anybody's complaining. Yeah, and like you just mentioned, you know, that this isn't how you would draw it up for your first draft, uh, the fact that it's only two days and five rounds. But you did say after the draft was over that you considered it an epic draft for the Cubs. What makes you feel that way? I, I think we went in trying to target upside tools and, and, and guys that we can imagine being making an, an impact uh, at, at, you know, with the Cubs and at Wrigley Field. And I, th- I think we, we executed that plan. Uh, and you know, I think you look back at a few of the guys we drafted, whether that's Ed Howard and you know, the potential to, to stay in the middle of the diamond and be uh, a shortstop as well as somebody that, that has some pop. Uh, that's a pretty exciting profile to, to get. Um, and, and, and then you look at our next pick, Burl Carraway. Uh, he arguably had the best fastball and breaking ball in the entire draft. Uh, and I think it's, not going to be very long at all until he makes uh, uh, um, his his impact pretty well known to, to people. Uh, and, and I think he's going to become uh, somebody that Cubs fans are going to really enjoy watching pitch. He's got a ton of energy. He's got just dominant stuff. Uh, and, and he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and then you go to – you look at our third-round pick, Jordan Wogu. Uh, he's got power to all fields. Uh, that's something a tool that is really difficult to find in the draft, and then you factor in that he actually combines the power with some plate discipline, uh, and 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 might be able to limit his strikeouts. Uh, in addition to putting up some home run numbers, uh, that's another exciting profile. And then you go to a guy like Luke Little, our fourth rounder, who literally was up to 105 uh, during the 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 shutdown uh, recently, and. Uh, is somebody that our scouts have just raved about the upside, uh, and 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 we think he he'll thrive in our player development system. Uh, and then lastly, our fifth round pick Cohen Moreno. Um, he's a high school pitcher from North Carolina who has a lot of upside. You know we're going to take things slow with him, but there's a lot of things to like with his fastball slider change combination. It's a I couldn't have envisioned talking about a more exciting group of five guys than, than I think we are today. Yeah. And I want to get to some of the other guys, but I, I have to touch on that one Oh five. You know, it went viral from Luke little and uh, you know, I know pitching ninja helped make that happen and so on, but for you guys, you know, especially you, you put on the scouting hat and stuff, you see one Oh five uh, one, how excited do you get when you see something like that? And you know, you have that guy now, you know, that you were able to draft him. But then, two, just how do you kind of maybe be realistic and project what a guy can do 105 in a bullpen and then project that out into professional baseball on, on a real mound? I, I remember asking Luke uh, in our Zoom call with him, uh, and, and we were joking a little bit about 105 just because that's that's obviously not something that you see every day. And and, and I asked him if there's more in the tank, uh, and, and, and he seemed to think that there could be. Now, I, I, I'm not going to uh, – go that far but it, it's exciting when you talk to a kid that's thrown 105 and think that he hasn't sort of reached uh, sort of uh, th- that, there, that there might be more there 
but, you know, first things first with Luke, I think, you know, our player development staff is going to, uh, you know, go with him. He's going to uh, get an assessment in our pitch lab. Uh, he's going to get a breakdown of his mechanics and we're going to see what works for him and what doesn't uh, and, and, and take things slow. I think, you know, even though he throws 105, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be some things, some adjustments that he's going to have to make. And, uh, you know, hopefully those come sooner rather than later. And with guys like Howard and Nuogu, you mentioned controlling the strike zone and how important you think that is and being able to potentially limit strikeouts. Do you think that was, was that a major emphasis for you guys going into the draft, trying to get guys who can control the strike zone when we're seeing so many strikeouts in today's game? I I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a major emphasis in, in, in how we look at uh, offensive players, not just in the draft, but also, um, <clears throat> you know, at the professional level, I think, you know, time. I think we've seen over time that uh, if if you can't control the strike zone, uh, even if you have the ability to hit for power, uh, it's 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 just it might not play at the next level. Uh, and and so that you know, if you're going to identify a, an amateur prospect that has some power, uh, I think to give him the best chance of playing in pro ball and hopefully in the big leagues, you know, he has to have he has to be able to control the zone. Uh, and what we what we mean by that is you know, avoid strikeouts, um, try to avoid, you know, swing and miss as much as he can. Uh, but then when he does make contact, when he does square it up, uh, that he, you know, he does it with authority uh, and that he, he can do it to all fields. And I, that's what we see in Jordan. And with Howard, I know there was a lot made after he was drafted about the pressure of being a first round pick by your hometown team. But I know you guys said that you mentioned that you had talked to him about it and you liked his answer on it. but do you specifically feel that that Ed would be able to handle the pressure of being a Chicago kid and uh, coming up through the Cubs system? Yeah, I you know I think when we're talking with whether it's a, a high school player or a college player, you know, in the first round, somebody that's going to get a lot of scrutiny, somebody that uh, is obviously going to be under the microscope. Uh, you know, one thing that we have to be sure of is that he's mature enough to to handle that. Uh, you know, not just that he's a good baseball player, but that he, um, you know, can can handle things that uh, whether you know there's adversity, whether that's you know in your in your own city, whether that's the dealing with the media. Uh, and I think you know through our conversations with Ed, uh, what became clear was that he did have sort of this uncanny maturity uh, level, especially compared to some of the, I think the other players uh, that that we spoke with. Uh, I mean, he, we have zero concerns that, um, he, that he won't be able to handle it. And, you know, we, and frankly, we think he'll thrive in it. And I think it's going to be something that drives him and motivates him. And, uh, I think, uh, I think Chicago is going to love Ed. And with Caraway too, you mentioned that he had the, the best fastball and, and breaking ball, uh, arguably in the draft. And, uh, you know, as a reliever too, the potential to move quickly is there, can you talk a little bit about the just the realistic expectations that you guys are putting on him too for you know as a second round pick, but just you don't want to move him too fast and people obviously can get excited and get carried away like oh this guy could be in the big leagues in the next year, but really what do you guys want to see in his development after after signing hopefully and and where he goes from there? Yeah, you like you said, Tony. You know you don't want to rush anybody and you don't want to to put sort of undue expectations on on them and. Uh, you know, and, and that just could set somebody up for, for failure. But um, in Burl's case, the stuff is there 
right now. I mean, he's got a dominant elite fastball breaking ball combination. Uh, and it, it's, it's one that, um, you know, he could strike out major league hitters today. Uh, it's, it's that good and that exciting and that electric. Uh, that being said, you know, we're not going to rush him. Uh, you know, there's going to be some things that, you know, we want to work with him on and, and just whether it's consistency, whether that's pitch design, um, but he's, he's close. He's really close. And he's, he's an exciting impact talent that I don't think is, uh, that I think we'll be watching at Wrigley Field, uh, pretty soon. And in your past drafts, you know, the Cardinals and when you were in the A's front office as well, how the development of these cold weather prep kids, how do you maybe apply that to Ed Howard in this case, especially when you're looking at the situation we're facing with the pandemic and the fact that there was no spring season here. Yeah. So I think you have to get creative there. And, you know, Ed's done that. Ed has access to facilities that, um, you know, where he can take ground balls, where he can hit. Um, And I think, um, you know, it's just, it's just a little different situation, but you know, we don't really have any concerns there. And I think being in Chicago, frankly, is a huge advantage for us in terms of Ed's development. Uh, You know, this, it's where our, our director of hitting lives in Chicago. We have obviously the our entire front office, uh, and so I think just having access to Ed and Ed having access to all of us uh, is 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 really going to be an advantage right now. You know, as we're sort of faced to you know as we're doing things a little bit differently and and having to be a little bit creative in terms of players' development. I'm glad you mentioned that the guys in Chicago and the player development that over the last year or so the the way the Cubs have undergone changes, you know, adding Craig Breslow, Justin Stone, et cetera, is the investment in that in player development and technology. Did that change the way that you guys viewed upside in this draft? Do you think? So I think as scouts, it it gives us a lot more confidence that we can draft somebody, whether it's your Luke little, who's just got tremendous upside, but real realizing there's still work to do, whether it's your Jordan Wogu, who, we love the power, but, you know, know that, you know, it's still going to take a couple of years to just fully develop that swing or whether it's uh, Ed Howard, uh, a high school player. I think it gives us as scouts a lot of confidence to go out there and identify players that we really like that have upside and to be able to then hand it over to hand those players over to Stoney or Brez uh, and, 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 and just have a lot of confidence that they're going to develop these guys um, as, as, as well as anybody. So I think it does give us a lot of confidence. It enables us to be, um, I think, really aggressive in the draft. And uh, it, it, it's a really fun synergy. Last one here, just kind of a fun one. But when you were with the Cardinals back in 2012, you actually drafted Rowan Wick, right? Yep. Yeah. So how what, what are the changes you've seen? Because I believe he was a catcher back then when you guys drafted him to now – how he's developed as a pitcher and just what you've seen from him over the, those eight years. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't have imagined uh, eight years ago that we'd be watching Rowan Wick uh, um, as a pitcher right now. That's uh, you know, I think when you, we drafted him as a, as, as a catcher and uh, he, he certainly at the time had a plus arm, but uh, I'd, I'd be lying if I said uh, I thought that the fallback plan for him would be, would be on the mound. Um, but it just goes to show you that, you know, when you draft players with tools, um, you know, that, that there's a, a lot of different options and, and, and sort of paths that that player can take. Um, and it, 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 you know, is 
uh, in Rowan's case, it, it worked out well that, you know, the plus arm was a fallback uh, where he could, uh, you know, contribute on the mound and, you know, credit to the Cubs for identifying that and for, uh, for further developing it. Cause that's obviously not how he came up. Well, Dan, thank you for your time. I appreciate you stopping by and chatting with us. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it guys. All right. That was Dan Kantrovitz, Cubs VP of scouting. And he, he made a good point. Rowan Wick. Hey, I don't think you know, many of us thought that he'd be a reliever getting any kind of serious burn anytime soon, but at six, three, two thirty-five and change, it didn't really seem as if catching was in the cards for him. So, you know, hopefully we will see more out of him on the mound. And as we said, we turned the page from Kantrovitz, and now we turn to Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. He's the senior writer there. You know, I'm in love with Luke Little, our friend Jim, not so much. Let's hear his breakdown on picks one through five and then some when it comes to the 2020 MLB amateur draft. Jim, all the dust has finally settled on the draft. So how are you doing right now? Doing okay. It was, you know, long two days, a little easier being at home instead of in the studio. So that was nice. I, uh, my son, my oldest son was complete. His master's thesis was actually on the economics of the draft. So I wound up reading that. He's over in Europe because he's going to Oxford. I was reading that from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. So a little tired today, but recovering. So uh, to get this, is your son a Rhodes Scholar or is he just an Oxford attendee? Just, just an Oxford attendee. Smart kid, not quite Rhodes Scholar, but this is the last thing he has to do, get his master's. And uh, so I was doing some final proofing in the middle of the night early morning his time. So it's turned in now, and uh, hopefully he'll get that master's degree pretty soon. All right. Well, our intelligence, it pales in comparison to your son. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to temper our expectations here. So let's get back to that draft talk this year, Jim, the draft only five rounds. So what are your thoughts on how the Cubs approach this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought most teams would, and I think most teams did, and the Cubs were no exception. We're going to treat the first five rounds like they treat the first five rounds in most years. You know, I didn't think you were going to see a bunch of college seniors taken to save money like you sometimes do in rounds seven through ten. I didn't think it was going to go all college because people were going to be afraid they hadn't seen enough of the high school guys because you you get to see them the previous summer, which is an important time to scout them. So I, I thought the Cubs kind of – I mean, you look at what they drafted. I mean, it wasn't like they went all four-year college guys by any means. You know, they took a high school kid in the first round. They took a high school kid in the fifth round. Um, I think a lot of teams just approached it. We'll, we'll treat the first five rounds like we normally do, and then it just stops. So that, that's the unusual part. Jim, the, the hometown kid, Ed Howard, really made waves when the Cubs drafted him 16th overall. But what do you make of his potential overall, and really what timeline might he be on coming out of high school? Yeah, I, I like the pick. You know, he was a guy, you know, spent all my time, you know, leading up to draft, working on one mock draft after another. Wasn't quite sure where Ed was going to go. Thought he might go lower than he deserved. I think Ed's the best shortstop in the draft. You know, there are guys who play shortstop who are going to move, but if the guys are going to stay at shortstop, Ed was clearly the best guy. Really good defender. I don't think there's any question he can play the position. He's smooth. He's good base IQ, that, that good internal clock, strong arm to make all the throws. You know, he had offseason shoulder surgery, but like, shouldn't be any issues with that. So you, you don't have to worry about him moving to another position. And you know, his bat was a little up and down on the showcase circuit last summer. And maybe that worked into a little bit of the uncertainty as to where he was going to go in the draft because nobody got to see him this year. If we hadn't had the coronavirus, uh, Mount Carmel was going to the National High School Invitational where he would have faced a ton of good pitching and, and really could have helped himself. Um, but I actually do think that, that I, I like the bat maybe a little bit more. Or I, I guess I, I, the Cubs obviously like the bat. And I'd say I'm with, I side with them. I'm, you know, there are some mixed reviews. 
I think he's going to hit for enough average. I think he's got some deceptive power because he's not small. He's like 6'2". I think he's going to get stronger. I think we could be looking at a, a guy who hits, you know, 260, 270, 15 to 20 homers and plays a really good shortstop. So I like the pick. You know, a high school kid, you know, and it's weird because I don't even know what's development going to look like next year. We, you know, it's probably not going to be any opportunity for him to do much this year. I mean, he's probably – you know, four years away. I mean, you're, you're probably realistically looking at 2024, you know, maybe 2023, you know, the Cubs are, I assume, planning to continue to contend. I mean, they have some financial issues of, of who they're going to resign, but it's not like they're a bad team where you're going to be rushing guys. So uh, I'd say late 2023, 2024 would be realistic. Well, we'll see if Ed Howard stays at shortstop or if he does indeed make that move to second base. Now let's make our move from shortstop pitchers mound because three of the Cubs five picks they were spent on hurlers we have Burl Callaway Luke Little and Cohen Moreno so when it comes to a breakdown on these guys which one jumps off the page to you Jim well it's Burl Callaway um for a couple of reasons one um he was best reliever in the draft and that's why he went where he did relievers used to go in the first round that doesn't happen anymore they usually go in the third round he went in the second round two I think he could be this obviously not a normal year, but that even might help us cause. I, I think he could be the first player from anybody's draft in 2020 to get to the big leagues. Um, his stuff is that good. You know, we don't know what form this season's going to take, what the roster is going to look like, taxi squads. But this guy's stuff could get big league lefties out now. I'm not saying you're going to make him your closer right away. He'd be closer to the future. But he's got two, you know, one-two punch. He's got a fastball. It's 93, 96 to 98 that has off-the-chart pitching metrics, might be the the, the best. He's not the hardest thrower in the draft, but, you know, he throws plenty hard and it plays up. Um, and then he has just a hammer, hammer filthy curveball that he drops down the bottom of the zone. So if you're looking, you know, like, how am I going to catch up to this 96 up at the letters, then he just drops the curveball on you. Um, and I think, you know, you could use him as a lefty specialist this year in the big leagues. That's how good he is. Um, all their guys are interesting. You know, Luke Little, you know, I think he's a reliever too. You know, he had the famous Twitter video where he threw 105. I don't really buy into Twitter videos, but I, I know guys have seen him up to 101. The key for him is, you know, what is he going to do besides throw hard? Um, I think he's a pure reliever. The velocity doesn't last for more than an inning or two at a time before he dips down to like 93, 96, which is still good. There's no history of throwing strikes, and the secondary stuff's really consistent. The guy who's super interesting, um, and again, I'm assuming – that it, when you're only having five picks, you're planning on signing everybody because most guys in the, in the top of the draft sign anyway. Cohen Moreno, super, super interesting pick because he was a projectable – he is a projectable high school lefty from North Carolina who a lot of guys liked. He didn't pitch this year. He had a muscle strain, nothing serious, but he didn't pitch this spring. He was only at 86 in the fall, so it was going to be hard for him to draft him just because you, you didn't get any kind of good looks at him in a long time and no looks this spring. But he's been up to 94. He's 6'2", 170. He's projectable. Good breaking ball. Easy delivery. The ball just comes out so easy. So as he gets stronger, he should throw even harder. Um, so I, I thought that was a really high upside pick, and it just surprised me because, you know, usually I just didn't think he was going to be signable based on you just didn't get a chance to see him. So he, he kind of intrigues me too. But why? I mean, if we get baseball this season, which I'm still hopeful we will, it will not shock me at all if Burl Caraway is somehow pitching for the Cubs late in the season trying to help him make the playoffs. The other position player we saw the Cubs take, Jordan Wogu out of Michigan. He's a guy that started as a, a walk-on, turned into a third-round pick. He's built like a linebacker. What do you make overall of, of his career progression in, in college and then where he can go in the pros? Yeah, he, you know, and he, 
he had a chance. He was an edge rusher too in high school. He looks like it, and he had a chance to play college football. Um, he's like 6'2", 235, just huge physical presence, huge raw power. You know, his swing is not the smoothest swing by any means, but somehow I think he must just have really good hand-eye coordination. He still barrels the balls up on a pretty consistent basis, plus runner for his size. I mean, so you're looking at a guy who, again, I don't think guys steal bases that much, but I mean, he could be, a, you know, if everything comes together, like a 25-25 guy maybe. You know, the, the one thing that, that's not real great with him is defensive instincts are kind of lacking. So even though he runs well, he doesn't throw real great either. I think he's probably really a left fielder. Um, but but ultimately, it's going to come down to his bat. You know, he, he's got immense potential. And if he if he makes enough contact, and he did in college, he could provide a ton of power. I, I thought he was a real interesting pick. The you know, third round was kind of where we had him pegged is where he'd probably go. Um, I, I thought it was a nice pick. Uh, Jim, before we wrap up and get you out of here, we know the minor league season, it is in flux. So what's next Five guys that were selected in the draft, plus some of those guys that may get signed for twenty thousand bucks. You know, I, a lot of people have been asking me that. And I don't know. Um, like, like normally you would go play short season ball, or you know, maybe you know, Burl Caraway would start off in A ball because he's going to move pretty quick. That's not going to happen now. Um, I think that there's a chance. You know, if we get a major league season, it gets off the ground, and they don't have problems, and they keep people healthy, that at some point they will start up you know, some form of instruction league or fall league type thing at everybody's spring training complex where maybe you have 40 or 50 of your best prospects there. Maybe one day your older players play against other people's older players and then your younger guys play against other people's younger players. So I think we'll have, I think we'll have something. It won't be anywhere close to what these guys would normally get. But I, I think, you know, these, these guys will get hopefully the chance to do something unless, you know, COVID rears back and, and shuts things down again. All right, Jim, you know, we touched on it very quickly, but when it comes to the unknown for some of these free agents, $20,000, I mean, some of these guys could have warranted a whole more money if they went rounds five through 10. So what's next for them? How do they stay ready? Are they going to their high school fields? Are they in makeshift foam mounds in the backyard? Or are they working out in the garage? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody, uh, you know, amateurs and, I mean, pros too, kind of depends on your setup. I mean, some guys are going to gyms now if they're clean and pitchers are trying to find guys to throw with. And, you know, those are the guys who are going to kind of lose out developmentally this summer. I mean, these are guys who would have been higher picks, and now they're getting a $20,000 bonus max when they sign. And those guys are going to get an opportunity to, to play in whatever kind of complex minor league setup teams have. And, you know, I – It'll be interesting because it's like I know from an opportunity standpoint, signing guys who would have gotten six-figure bonuses. You know, I, I think I told you guys last time there were 395 players who got six-figure bonuses after the fifth round last year, and, and so there's a lot of talented players out there that now can only sign for 20. And so, like on one hand, I'd be tempted, million dollars, I'll sign 50 of them if I can find 50 of them who will sign. But like, where are you going to put all those guys next year too? Because there's going to be fewer minor league teams. I, I hope we don't see a situation where guys sign for 20 and they get released next year before they even play in a game. That would, that would be very hard. Look, uh, I think that would make baseball look very good. Jim, looking big picture too, where would you slot these guys in the Cubs farm system overall, maybe in a different rankings, like guys like Ed Howard and Burl Caraway specifically. And, and how would you look at the Cubs system overall after the draft compared to what it was going into it? Well, then they definitely add some talent. I mean, we've ranked them recently. We've ranked them more towards the bottom than up near the top where they were for years. I mean, they 
they're, they're rebuilding depth. They have some interesting guys. They don't have a, you know, it's not as deep as other systems. They don't have as many superstar types. But I mean, looking at this system, I do our Cubs ranking, so it's kind of an easy question for me. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I haven't officially done this yet, but like Ed Howard to me, it'd be interesting. You know, I'd probably put him fourth on the list between Brennan Davis and Miguel Amaya. Um, I really like Ed, but like, you know, I have Nico Horner one, Braylon Marquez two, Brennan Davis three. And I, I really think Brennan Davis could be a 30, 30 guy. So, I mean, and I'll talk to some scouts and obviously it's not the Cubs list, but we talk to the Cubs too and, and get their input. So we'll, we'll look at that. You know, Caraway, you know, Caraway's interesting as a straight reliever. You know, you know, I've got, I've, right now I've got Cole Roederer, you know, five, he'd be pushed down by Howard, Adbert Alzelay. Cole Franklin, I think, is a guy who is really going to take a big step forward this year. Hopefully, there'll be a season. You know, I'd be tempted to put Burl Caraway ahead of Ryan Jensen and Chase Strumpf. I, I just, I really like his stuff. In the back of my mind, I think there's 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 some possibility that Ryan Jensen winds up being a reliever. So I think I'd put Burl Caraway uh, there. Um, you know, Wogu, probably more the middle of the list somewhere. You know, maybe behind the two. You know, young catchers they signed last year, Ethan Hearn and Ranier uh, Quintero, somewhere in the middle of the list. Um, Luke Little. Luke Little's guy probably have to prove it to me to make the list. I don't think I'd put him on the list right now. And Cohen Marino, I, I like, as I, I mentioned. But, again, I mean, he didn't pitch this spring. It was, you know, with the muscle strain, he was 86 in the fall. And while I like him as an upside play, I think I'd like to see him in pro ball and see what his stuff looks like. So those two guys would probably have to wait to make the list. Now, Jim, what about Ed Howard when it comes to his versatility? We saw the Tigers take Spencer Torkelson, number one, out of Arizona State. He played first base for the Sun Devils, and uh, they announced him as a third base, and they think that Torkelson does have that ability to move over to the hot corner. Do you see Ed Howard at any time in the future moving over to second base? Perhaps that'll get him to Wrigley Field a little bit sooner, and he'll be turning double plays with Javi? Yeah, I mean, I think the difference with that is you know, Torkelson, you're, you're trying to enhance his defensive ability. You know, we saw Austin Martin, who never played shortstop really in college, got announced as a shortstop by the Blue Jays. They're trying those guys in more challenging positions. You know, with Ed, I think it just comes down to what do the Cubs need when he's ready? You know, it's like when Javi Baez came up. You know, look, we, we know what a good shortstop Javi Baez is now. But they had Addison Russell, so Javi, like, was a second baseman. And I think it's the same thing. You know, depending on the makeup of the Cubs, I mean, who knows what they're going to look like in three years, you know, if – if Chris Bryant's still here and Javi Baez is still here, then Ed Howard's probably second baseman. If let's say Chris Bryant, you know, I mean, there's been talk, oh, the Cubs may have to trade him. Uh, I don't buy that, but that's a whole other story. Then maybe Javi yeah. Baez is short and, and Ed Howard. I mean, Javi Baez is a third and Ed Howard's at short. Um, he, I, I mean, athletically, yeah, he could. I mean, he's he's quick enough. I mean, he's a good shortstop, so you could play him anywhere in the infield. I like I said, I think with him, it's just it depends on when he's ready who's your shortstop and what does it look like and, and do you move that or not? But he, he, you could play him. If you played him, you know, in the outfield, I, I think he could play pretty much. If, if Joe Madden was still here Ed Howard would probably, you know, begin, you know, when he's ready, you know, playing six different positions. Jim, I got to go back to what you were saying about Brendan Davis. Uh, you said you think he has 30-30 upside. It, it, that's kind of monster upside. We're looking at it as a kid that I know has been considered a top prospect, but still is young and still developing. Yeah, he is. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's so many negatives, obviously, to the COVID situation, what's going on. And, 
I mean, this is probably not as hot, you know, there's obviously greater tragedies, but like I was really looking forward to see what, what Davis was going to do this year with a full year. You know, when they drafted him, he was one of the best athletes in the draft. And I, th- I mean, I think it's almost easy to say, oh, he's athletic, so he must be raw. Um, and it was, you know, this guy, he's got some, you know, real power upside and he can run, but it's going to take some time to develop. Well, he looked great in the Midwest League last year. And I, I really think the Midwest League is probably the hardest place in the minors to hit. Um, it's just tough conditions. It's cold. And he looked very, very polished. And I had some finger injuries um, get, getting hit by pitches. So I only played about 50 games. But I mean, I, I do think, I mean, I, I don't think it's impossible. Well, <laughs> I do think it's impossible because I don't know what kind of games we're going to be playing. If we had a normal season, I think it's very possible that Brent Davis would have been the Cubs' number one prospect at the end of the season. I, I think he could have had a, like a, a huge year in high class A and, and done that. And he's still good. But if we don't have a lot of games, it's hard to move these guys around. I don't know why I would jump him over, like, say, Nico Horner or Braylon Marquez without, you know, much to go on. Okay, Jim, the way you feel about Brennan Davis's upside is the same way I feel about Luke Little's upside. Now, we talked about him a little bit earlier. The guy's <laughs> six foot eight, and we've seen him on video. Some of it may be disputed, though, that he threw 105 miles an hour. And, you know, when it comes to Al Davis in the NFL back in the day, he liked lean guys who, who could run fast. And when it comes to pitchers, I like lefties who throw hard and that are big, and he fits all those measures. Yeah, he does. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, look, I, I get it. He's an upside play. You know, lefty, 6'8". You know, I, I'm not going to go with his Twitter velocity, but I, I know scouts who've seen him throw <laughs> triple digits in games at San Jacinto Junior College. I'll, I'll go with 101. Yeah. And so that's real exciting. Okay. The, the question is, and the reason – you know, you asked me off the air, like, you know, how's a six foot eight lefty who throws 101 or 105 going the fourth round? And what it is, is he really doesn't do anything else on a consistent basis right now. It's, you know, he's he's got a hard slider that's not real sharp. He doesn't have much in the way of a changeup, doesn't throw strikes, delivery mechanics aren't great. So I, I know, I, I feel like killing him here. But like, so you're, you're basically getting velocity and you're hoping you can get him in the Cubs pitching lab and refine the slider and and teach him some things. I, I don't think there's any way this guy's a starting pitcher. Um, his velocity drops off after a couple innings, and he's like 93, 96. I think this is a guy, you know, who's got a long way to go mechanically that you're just hoping airs it out for an inning and, and finds the strike zone enough. I kind of liken him – this is like a strained comparison. It's kind of like Dylan Maples. I mean, he, he's left-handed and he's bigger. But, like, Dylan Maples has wipeout stuff. Dylan Maples has better breaking stuff than – than, than Luke Little, but Dylan Maples hasn't at the big league level been able to throw strikes on anywhere close to consistent. I mean, consistent basis. If Dylan Maples could throw like even fringy control, I mean, you could use him in the you know, seventh, eighth, ninth inning because his stuff's unhittable. But and I think like Luke Little is kind of in that mold right now. It's a great arm. It, it's really interesting, but he's going to be a, a long-term project for the player development staff. All right, Jim, last one from me. We were talking about why Little lasted to the fourth round, but Caraway himself, uh, he's a guy that even you said he could potentially pitch in the big leagues in 2020, depending on where the season is. So why is it that he was still there at 51st overall, in your opinion? I think it's solely it's just because of the way the industry values relief pitchers, college relief pitchers in the draft. You know, Years ago, you'd see college relievers go in the first round. A lot of teams were looking for – guys who could get to the big leagues really quick and help them right away. And, and a lot of those guys really didn't pan out. It wasn't a successful draft strategy for a lot of clubs. And so now it's kind of corrected back to where most of your college relievers go in the third round or later. 
And, you know, Burrell was clearly the best college reliever this year. That's why he went in the middle of the second round. So he, he kind of went about where he, he should go, like in terms of how the industry values relievers. But, I mean, with that stuff and, you know, I mean, he's a pure reliever. He's a six-foot guy. There's effort. But, but the fastball is 93-98 and plays even better than that. And, and the curveball is a hammer. I mean, he's just I, – I, I, like I said, I'll stand by it. I, I could easily see, you know, if the Cubs are in contention, I don't know why they wouldn't be and we have a season – this guy being asked to get lefties out down the stretch. Jim, before we get you out of here, let's look towards the future with all these players potentially going back to college and not taking that $20,000 signing bonus as a free agent. What's the draft going to look like in 2021? It's going to be clogged. You know, on the, on the MLB network uh, 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 broadcast is what I was looking for to say podcast on our broadcast. We've interviewed coach Tim on and he had a, a great analogy. He's talking about like uh, the pipe this flow of talent into college baseball and out of college baseball, the pro ball. And the pipes clogged on one end. All these guys who were supposed to leave this year and go to pro ball aren't leaving. And there's more water coming in and it's going to be over capacity. Next year's draft potentially could just be a, a mess. I mean, you're going to have some portion, probably more than half, but let's say half the players from this year's round six or 20 go back to school. And it would probably even be a little bit more than that. You're going to have all those guys, and all the guys who would have gone around 6 through 20 next year in the draft, plus some freshmen who get squeezed out of playing for college because guys went back to school and they wind up going to junior college, they'll be draft eligible. You're going to have way too much talent for a 20-round draft next year. Plus, I, I, I still am not convinced that we'll have a 20-round draft. I just think the owners didn't want to have a draft this year. The revenues are going to be down even if they get a season off the ground. Next year might not be normal either. You know, COVID could come back over the winter. Um, the owners are not going to want to have a 20-round draft next year. The union's not really going to care. So I, I, I think we could have a 10-round draft next year, and you're going to have way too many players who belong in the top 10 or 20 rounds to go. So And on top of it, and I'll be Mr. Toomey Gloom, we're going to have fewer or perhaps no real high school showcases this summer. Like they're going to get try to get some off the ground. And fewer or no real college summer leagues getting off the ground this summer. So you're going to have less intel on these guys before we go in. So I think next year could be very, very – like this year was weird with the season getting shut down, but people kind of had gotten started and had feel for guys. You didn't get as many looks as you wanted. Next year could be incredibly chaotic. It could be the most chaotic draft ever, really. Yeah, no Under Armour games, no area code games. And something tells me that leading up to 2021's draft, Tim Corbin will have his phone ringing off the hook down there at Vanderbilt University. He's a busy man, as is Jim Callis, MLB Pipeline. Jim, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, great talking to you guys. All right, so that was Jim Callis, senior writer at MLB Pipeline. And uh, by the sounds of it, Tony, Jim, not a huge fan of L-Double. That's Luke Little. I'm, I'm handing out nicknames all around here. I called Ed Howard. I called him the red line because that's the first stop on the red line, on the L, but uh, e either way, how could Jim not be on board with a guy that's six foot eight and throws 105 miles an hour? And oh, oh, oh by the way, he's also left-handed. How about that? Yeah, no, I'm with you, I, especially because he's also 19. He's still a teenager. He turns 20 in August, I think it is. So he's still very young. You can mold it. But I, I do – also agree and my thought initially when they the Cubs drafted Luke Little is like okay why is this guy a fourth round pick because a tall right. that can throw 100 plus even if we don't know if that 105 was completely accurate 100 plus why is he waiting so long so 
yeah, I think there's still, you know, a project there and, and there's still, they may have to clean up his mechanics, work on his secondary stuff, see how long he can hold that velocity, like all these things that Jim talked about. So, but I am really curious. I'm with you. I, I think that Little is a guy that will bear watching. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him and how the Cubs develop him and so on, especially this year when we're not really sure there's going to be too many minor league games. But then after that, let's see what kind, what this guy does with the velocity out on the field. Yeah, I'm going to have to send uh, old Jim Callis a Paul Hardcastle video. 19, that's the song I'm thinking about because, like you said, Luke Little, only 19 years old. Maybe his frame isn't where it needs to be right now. But as the saying goes, youth is wasted on the young. So hopefully LL Cool J, that's another nickname for Luke Little. How about that one? Ladies love him. Maybe we'll see him turn things around when it comes to the physique and when it comes to throwing strikes sooner rather than later. But when it comes to baseball, getting back to normalcy, I wonder what's next right now for big league ball, Tony, because social media, I think it's safe to say that each and every single day it has all of us on the edge of our seats this weekend. It's going to be huge. And hopefully we're going to have some good news sooner rather than later. We'll be able to talk baseball being actually played on our next Cubs weekly podcast. Yeah, I'm hoping so, man. I think it's it's about time, right? In middle of June here, the draft is done. It's definitely about time. I, I really hope that the owners and players association are able to get to some sort of agreement. And we're looking at only about two and a half months or so of regular season time because of the way they the, they want the playoffs to go and because of expanded playoffs when you're talking about four or six more teams, depending on what the agreement is, it's going to take longer in the postseason. And this second wave of COVID and stuff that's possible. So I, I I think with only about two and a half months to go, we're probably only looking at a max of maybe around 70 games, but 70 games is, I mean, I would take that in a heartbeat. Like I would take 70 games starting tomorrow, you know, if we could. So it, at this point, like we just need baseball to come back. We've been saying that a while, but we, we need it. Yeah, when I think about the lag in the game's return, it makes me think back to that classic Jim Mora quote where he said, uh, what's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Are you kidding me? Playoffs? And if that's what's holding up baseball's return right now, well, hopefully we can get over that hurdle sooner rather than later. And that's going to do it here for this special draft edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust. And make a note, don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Apple Music, or Spotify and you can do it today. So for my guy, Tony Andracki, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next time.